Well, amen, church. I believe you kind of enjoyed that a little bit. You know, I was sitting there thinking, I've been in 800 churches to preach. And I was trying to think if I can think of any other church where the staff and the staff wives take as influential and as an important part in the ministry of the church as your staff and their beautiful wives. Now, these were just up here, but I'm telling you, it's true of all. I think Denise is back here playing. I mean, I mean it, it's just true. You have a blessed staff who are gifted and talented in multiple ways. And uh, these are the folks who are leading us. And this morning, we had church. <laughs> we had church this morning. If you have your Bibles, be finding the book of Matthew chapter 6. Let me read just a few verses to you. Matthew chapter 6, it's a very familiar passage to you, but I pray the familiarity will not keep you from hearing something new and apropos for your spiritual life today. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And I'm going to read several verses, but relax. I know we have lunch planned, so just, just relax. Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then probably one of the key verses in the entire passage. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil or sinful, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on is not the, the life, notice the definite article, the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then verse 30, very significant start to verse 30. Wherefore? Therefore, wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the fields, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not be much more clothed you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? 
For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I believe today many believers are burdened. But we're not burdened by the things you might first think that are churchy. The burden today on believers is not fasting and prayer and daily Bible readings. No, the burden on believers today is not spiritual demands but secular distractions. We're distracted by what's outside the church, not for what goes on in the church. And the main secular distraction today in the world that you and I live in is the accumulation of wealth, the desire for more, the desire for things. And I'm telling you, the desire for material things is strong, and at the same time, it is subtle. After all, we live in a material world. We're surrounded by material things. And we live in a society that basically gauges importance, success by the things. The more things you have, the more successful you are. The more things you have, the more important you are. The things you have, the more looked up to you are things clutter our life but we add them around our life and those are the things that insulates us somewhat from life and it's what the world applauds no wonder no wonder there's a problem i'm telling you the believer and i'm speaking to the believer i'm speaking to the church we must learn how to handle this and the key to accumulating things is money. Okay, I said it. I said it. Money. Oh, no, the preacher's going to talk about money. Yes, I'm going to talk about money. Because it is the chief thing that we use to acquire wealth. It is what we consider wealth to be. We either take it and put it in the bank or we buy things that accumulate and escalate in value or we buy something that's going to appreciate in value. We earn interest, but it all goes back to money. Why is money such a problem? Because money is the most tangible expression of your life that exists. I am your interim pastor. I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, should know it. You pay me to be here. Amen. Amen on the pay of the interim pastor. Amen. I stand here every week, one, two, three, maybe more times, and out of my study and out of my experience, I give you a part of my life. 
My life is burned up for you. I will never live this morning again. It's gone. But that's okay. You paid me to die up here a little bit. (laughs) And some Sundays I have. Amen. My life is being burned up right here for you and for him. And you give me money to do that. When you hand me that check, that check becomes the most tangible expression of my life that exists. Because my life's a vapor. It's gone. (laughs) Two o'clock this afternoon, you won't even think about it. Brother Owens burned up for us this morning. That money then becomes my life. It's an expression of my life. And I'm just going to tell you this. God is very concerned with what you do with what you exchange your life for. He's concerned. He's interested in what you do to exchange your life. And when this exchange and when this accumulation gets to the point that we leave God out of it, God is not only concerned, God is perplexed. God says, I gave you the ability to study, Glenn Owens. I gave you the ability to speak. I gave you the energy to stand up here. And then you won't honor me with what you exchange your life for? Because the very thing that you get to do, I let you do it. And that's not just a preacher. That's every one of us. God doesn't have to take your life. All he has to do is stop giving you life. Every moment he gives you life. And he gives you the abilities that you have, the talents that you have, the gifts that you have. And what you do with those things, he's vitally interested in. So this morning, out of this passage, I want you to see two things. First of all, from verses 19 through 24, the basic principle. And this in verses 25 through 34, I want you to see the daily practice. Because ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If we as believers don't take the principles and put them into practice, what good are they? Don't tell me what you think. Show me how you live. Don't tell me how you go about the thought process. Show me your hands and feet. The world is dying today because Christians talk a good talk, but we don't walk a good walk. The world sees us and says there's not a dime's worth of difference between you and a lost person. And a lot of it has to do with how we treat things. Toys, like the old bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. Wrong. Absolutely 180 degrees wrong. What's the basic principle? We can set our affections on things here or on things there. In other words, they can be things here on earth Or we can set our affections on things that will cross over to the other side. We can lay up treasures here or we can lay up treasures there. Jesus Christ states several reasons why 
living for material things, the things here, is foolishness. Foolish. Brother Owens, you're saying we're foolish? Yes. Stop and think. Material things do not last. Fabrics. The Jews, oh, they treasured fabrics. Rich, colorful fabrics. Well, moths eat them up. Things that are made out of metal, rust and obsolescence ruins them and makes them worthless. That new car that you just lusted for and you finally got it after about seven payments and the new model comes out and you look at it and say, why did I ever buy that thing? The things that were so important, the things that, that shine so much and get in our heart and get in our head, they're wearing out. Oxidation is taking over. Rust is taking over. Obsolescence is taking over. Have you bought a new iPhone lately? Well, if you have an 8, there's a 10. It's $1,000. $1,000 for a phone. And do you know there are people that lined up all the way around in the building waiting for it even though they can't even get it now? And the reason is not to talk on it or to have identification so it'll turn on. It's so they can say, look what I have. iPhone 10. Am I somebody or what? Cost you $1,000 to be that important. I think you can get a phone and just not turn it around. Just say, I have a new phone here and let people guess. Is that a 10, a 6, a 5, or a 4? I mean, who cares? You ought to put the blooming thing down anyway. How did we ever live without a phone, a mobile phone? I mean, the world must have stopped back in 1980. The real reason here is not that these things are bad. In fact, Jesus doesn't say things are bad. He just says they're a poor investment. They're a poor investment. And the real reason these verses are teaching us something, that the way you and I treat and use wealth, the way we attach significance to it, is an indication of our heart. It's an indication of what we think is important. Verse 21 says, For you were, where your treasures, there will your heart be also. We spend our time, we spend our money focused on all of these things. And by default, we leave God out of the equation. Again, the real problem is not that these things are bad. And in and of themselves, God says, take them and enjoy them. Just don't attach too much significance to them. Because they are not eternal. The Bible here speaks about the, the mind of man, what you are focused on. It's in contradistinction to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 8, 4, verse 4, and verse 8, where it talks about a double-minded man. The Bible also talks about the way we see things. It says, when the eye is single, the whole body shall be full of light. Here the eye is synonymous with the heart, with our attitude. It's how I look at things. And if I look at things with split vision, 
I'm going to be out of sync. A very wise old man years, years ago was preaching in a little country church that I happened to be one of the speakers that night. He was an older man. In fact, at that time, he was the oldest Baptist preacher that was alive in the state of Florida. He was in his 90s and was still pastoring a church out in the panhandle. And he made this statement. I wrote it down in the flyleaf of my Bible. He said, show me where you're looking and I'll show you where you're going. Isn't that good? Show me where you're looking and I'll show you where you're going. You see, if I'm going over here, I'm not looking over there. And if I'm going over here, I'm not looking over there or I'll fall off this sucker. If you're not looking where you're going, you're going to trip and fall. So the eye is synonymous with direction. The eye is synonymous with with telling us what we think is important. Show me where you're looking and I'll show you where you're going. Show me where you're looking in your life and I'll show you what you think is important in your life. Are things the most important? Or is the Lord Jesus Christ the most important? In verse 24, Jesus tells us clearly we cannot look in two directions at one time or serve two masters or live for God and live for material things. Again, let me stress, the Bible does not condemn the possession of wealth. But there is a warning against the love of money and the wrong use of material wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, verses 17 and 18, Hebrews 13, verse 5, Luke 16, 1 through 31. That's the whole chapter. All of these verses are are telling us that it's not the material things in and of themselves. It's the love and the importance we attach to them. That by doing that, we starve out God and we think these are the end result of life. The basic principle, show me where you're looking and I'll show you where you're going. But I'm so glad the Bible doesn't leave us with just principle. The Bible helps us to understand that we have to take principle to practice. If you look at verse 25, there's a transition. Verse 25 says, therefore. Anytime you see therefore in the Bible, see what it's there for. Amen. As a transition takes place here, he's given us the principle. He's laid the groundwork here in these earlier verses. Now he's making a transition to how does this work out in life? How do I take what is a principle? Why do I take what, what is an understanding? And how does that infiltrate and filter down into my life and to the practice? Jesus here is applying this principle to our lives. He's moving from teaching about something to the reality of how can this actually work out in the life that I live. First, he shows that worrying about material things is foolish because it accomplishes nothing. I played basketball when I was in high school, and I wanted to be 6'7", because... Some of the basketball players that I watched were big guys. And so I worked out and stretched, did everything I could. 
I even thought about putting lifts in my tennis shoes. I mean, I was serious about this. I wanted to look like Lowell. I could still take him on a drive. But anyway. But you know, all of that, it accomplished nothing. And in fact, we're sitting here this morning saying, Preacher, you're kind of foolish. You're kind of foolish to even think about all that. What do we do? We worry about so much. And all of that energy that we're consumed ourselves with, with worrying about, it accomplishes nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We spend all of our energy worrying about things, and all of this accomplishes zero. He reminds us to have our values straight. Our life, our real life, consists far more of food and clothing and how big I am and how tall I am and, and how good-looking I should have been. All of those things, they, they accomplish nothing, and they divert our attention from the real value in our life and the real value in our life is not how I look to you but how I appear to before my Lord that's the value and when I try to dress up and impress you but I'm shabby and deteriorated and unshaven before the Lord what have I accomplished nothing you know I was, I was sitting in a parking lot of a church that I was preaching in this has been years ago. And I'm sitting there going over my notes. I'd never been in the church. And uh, I may get in trouble saying this, but I'm going to do it. I'm the interim. Who cares? A car pulled up, and a man and woman got out of the car. And the man first went to the back of the car, looked in the mirror, and straightened his tie The lady was doing the same thing on the other side of the car. I mean, it was a mirror image, both of them. She was down. And now, I think you ought to look nice. I don't have any problem with that. But the thought went across my mind as I'm sitting there. How many of us take more time freshening up for one another than we do getting our heart right before we go into worship? Yeah, I'm preaching to myself. Oh, I have to. Is my hair, my, do I look good? Who cares what you think? If we're not careful, this becomes a part of us. And it's not that looking nice is not a good thing. I'm all for it. Do the best you can. <laughs> but not at the expense of being right before the Lord. Not at the expense of being sure that unconfessed, unrepented of sin is not taken care of before we saunter into church so that everybody can see our sartorial splendor. It can happen to us. It can be subtle as it happens to us. Life consists more of these things. Christ points out in nature, the flowers, the grass, the birds, the leaves that change in Tennessee and northern Georgia and Carolinas every year that everybody runs frantically up there to see. A couple of years ago, Susan and I went up there. 
We missed it by a week. Oh, no. Just, this is what we came for. There, there's, there's no leaves. But it was so important. Jesus said, this is passing. It, it's gone. It, it blazes. And God takes care of the beauty. But then it's gone. It's kind of like life. I'm here to tell you, you are much, much, much more valuable than the grass and the birds and the leaves and the flowers. God sent me to here to tell you today, he knows your needs and he knows your wants. And I can give testimony that if you will honor him, he will meet your need. That's not a preacher talking. That's a friend. And he's such a good God, every once in a while he'll slide in a want. Because <laughs> he loves you. Because he loves you. He loves you more than you even love yourself. Because he gave his one and only son for you. Would you give your one and only son for him? What's the conclusion? How do we as believers put in practice this principle? Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As your interim pastor, I'm here to tell you, when we put God first in every day, that means prayer, and reading of God's Word every day. When you and I put God first in every week by attending and participating in worship in God's house each week, and when we put God first in every paycheck by giving a tithe and offering to the Lord because He has provided for you and your family, and this is a way of showing that you love him. We put God first every day. We put God first every week. We put God first every paycheck. And I'm here to give testimony. It will absolutely amaze you how you find out when you put God first in these things that all of a sudden God will become first in the daily decisions that you make. It'll just happen. Because your importance has shifted over to him. You're more concerned about him. You're more focused on him. When your eyes single, your whole body shall be full of light. When you're focused on him, the light comes in and light chases away darkness every single time. Tonight, if we were here and we went over and opened the door and it's dark outside, now it gets dark at 5 o'clock. I, I hate daylight saving time. Well, I don't hate it. I don't like it. <clears throat> it's depressing. I get depressed at 4 o'clock thinking it's about to be dark. But do you open the door? Do you let the dark in? Darkness has no power over light. 
This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus Christ, why do you think he's called one of the names, is the light of the world. He will enlighten each of your days when you put him first each day, when you put him first each week, and when you put him first with that which you receive in exchange for your life, your paycheck. And when you do that, there will come an occasion when your church has an opportunity to do something over and above and beyond its capability of doing because God has asked us to do it. Like relocate the whole cotton-picking church. Move the whole thing and build new buildings right in the middle of one of the fastest growing areas in the United States of America. When you've put him first each day, first each week, and first with your paycheck, you will say, sign me up. I want to be a part of that. Because your focus is no longer on stuff. Your focus is on him. And you and I have the blessed privilege to be a part of something that literally will shake the world. There are people talking about First Daytona Beach. They're talking about you. They're saying, have you heard what's going on down there? Have you heard? And folks, you have an opportunity to be a part of it. That was a good place for an amen. I I know I slipped up on you and you weren't ready. I understand. You're going to have to pay attention. You have an opportunity to do something significant for God. And all you have to do is trust by faith. Trust by faith. Trust by faith. (laughs) Trust by faith. He loves you. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He loves this church. And God is activated. God is activated in matters of our lives when we, by faith, step out and trust him. God's been waiting for a group of people to do something magnificent for him. Amen. See there, I'm training you right. You knew when to do that. I didn't, we didn't even have an applause sign up anywhere. You just, this morning we're going to sing our invitation hymn in just a second. And it's just what it is. It's an invitation for folks to respond. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, and you need to come. Say yes to Christ. We'll have folks here. Now, the staff's already left. You just need to know that. We're going to have some godly lay folks, and there may be some staff still here. Paul, I think, is still here. Paul's back there. Me and Paul, that's all we need. Amen, brother. But we're going to have some trained folks here to help you if you need to come.
to receive Christ. Maybe you need to come and rededicate your life. Maybe you need to come and join this church by letter, statement, or any of the ways you'd receive members. Maybe you just need to come and kneel and say, Lord, I've been putting everything in the world first before you. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. From this point on, you're first, and you settle everything else where it needs to fall. Maybe you need to pray that. Our invitation is for you to respond as God has spoken to you. We're standing now. We're singing. As we sing, you respond as God responds.